But it's really up to the people being equipped to remember to bring their pack. Right? To, to equip, be equipped. You know, the army can issue all the tools they can to a soldier, but if you won't bring them, it's not very helpful. If you won't pick them up, it's not very helpful. If he doesn't learn the skills they want him to learn, it's not very helpful. No matter who offers what. So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about that. And I think one of the things that we're going to talk about is what is the goal of being equipped? And I think according to scripture, it's one of these things that's called maturity. In Colossians 1, 29, uh, the apostle Paul tells us that one of his primary goals was this matter of maturity. He says this, he, which means Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present a select few. No, we present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend, means I struggle, I fight for, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. See, the Bible's clear that the church is to be a place where people can be equipped, where believers will reach spiritual maturity. And that doesn't mean just for the elect, for the leadership, for a select few. Everyone, your name is on this message this morning. No matter what state you are, your name is on this message. And let me just ask you a question. If someone today came up to you and called you immature, that generally sparks a little bit of rebellion in our hearts, does it not? Uh, we want to, wait a minute, we want to say something that may not be too kind. We want to defend ourselves. We wanna, but let me just ask the question this way. Has anybody arrived? This goal thing called maturity is a lifelong pursuit. So no matter where you are, to be called immature is not really a criticism of shame. If I was just to admit, I'm not there yet. That's something we all ought to be able to do. And so no matter where you are this morning on your pursuit of maturity, this message can apply to you because we're never arrived until we're home with Jesus, right? So don't be offended if this message calls you immature. No, uh, if you really hear that we need to not be children anymore because God's word this morning says we need to grow up. Boy, wouldn't you love to stay a kid? You know, as a kid, you're almost dying to be an adult so you can do all these adulty things. But as soon as you're an adult, you say, can I go back? I didn't have all the fun I should have had while I was a kid. No responsibilities, no paying bills, no worrying about dinner on the table. I just showed up. Stuff happened. Well, anyway, we're all now on this journey. And I think we're going to hear from God's word what God tells us about this matter of pursuing maturity. Let's read this morning in Hebrews chapter 5. Yes, I hear all those tablets, phones scrolling. Actually, I don't. Verse 11. Concerning him, this is Christ, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Wow. And of faith towards God. This is God's word. We're going to pray. Father, I pray this morning as you give us kind of a hard message. We, I feel like we're all kids sitting before their father and he's giving them the instruction. 
My dear children, you need to grow up. Help us to understand what growing up even means in the family of God. And help us, Father, to pursue it as we pursue Christ in his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to be focusing on, I think, this matter of spiritual maturity. And I want to share with you four aspects about this maturity that Paul said he was struggling so hard to produce in his church. This was his goal. His goal was not knowledge. Do you see that? His goal was maturity. And so I'm going to be speaking this morning on four things. The meaning of maturity, the mandate for maturity, the means of our maturity, how God's going to get us there, and the measure of our maturity. So let's jump in. Number one, we all know that we start out our Christian lives as infants, babes in Christ. We are born again, right? So as we are born again, we start out as infants, is it any surprise that he would tell us we need to grow up? If we just stay with the theme of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, for the rest of our lives, people would say, I think you've lived a stunted life. That's a truth, and it's an absolute truth, and every child and every adult needs to know that. But we need to proceed beyond that point because God's going to show us why maturity is so important. But what is this thing called maturity that we're striving to reach? Especially as it applies to us spiritually. You know, there's things called physical maturity, our bodies that they grow up and are healthy. Uh, there is intellectual or mental maturity, how we think, that we're able to think logically, we can think through problems, we understand how the world works and how to apply ourselves in the world. There are things called maybe psychological and relational maturity. And I have to say, right as I say this, I think this is one of the areas that, at least in America, I see that we're struggling with. Relational maturity. How to act not like a child. Uh, because an emotional and, and relational maturity means we'll have effective and good relationships with other people. We'll know how to talk to other people without offending them. We'll know how to work with people and support them. But the thing beyond these maturities is spiritual maturity. And that's what's going to be the focus this morning. And what is this thing called spiritual maturity? Well, I think we need to start with Christ. This walk we have with Christ, the Apostle Paul called it, to be a Christian meant to be in Christ. It was one of his favorite words for being a Christian, to be in Christ. So a Christian is not just someone who goes to church every week, is not someone who reads their Bible all the time, not someone who prays alone, not someone who gives. It's someone who is in Christ. And how does that happen? Well, that happens by faith that we get placed in Christ through a new birth. Now, in Christ doesn't mean like in a toy box like a toy or in the closet like clothes. It means united with Christ. We are joined with Christ as part of his body of which he is the head. We are the vine, right? He's the vine. We are the branches. We are infused into Christ. So we got to understand that then therefore if being in Christ is where we are and a relationship with Christ is what we are pursuing, then maturity must be a mature relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are we growing in our relationship to Jesus Christ? Not are we reading our Bible, not are we doing mechanical things, are we improving and growing and deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ so that we now trust him more, we obey him more, we rely on him more, we are closer in fellowship. That is a maturing relationship and a spiritual maturity. Now, I think there's something here that we have to work at this. Did you know you have to work at relationships? Relationships don't just happen. If you want a good relationship with someone, you can't just say, well, I'll spend enough time watching and waiting and hoping, and one will develop. No. 
And just like our relationship with Christ, we must actually work at it. Now, it's not a works thing. God is the one that produces maturity in us. Just like a tree. Does a tree think itself mature? Does it say, and I've used this before, when it wants to produce a peach, does it go, mm, pop? <laughs> it, no, it's just healthy. It matures when it's healthy. And we as Christians will mature when we're healthy and have a healthy relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I think there's another aspect of maturity. It has the notion, I think, of being equipped. We talked a, bit, a little bit about that. You'll be healthy enough to serve. You'll be healthy enough to produce fruit. You'll be healthy enough to share the gospel. You'll be healthy enough to pass on the truths of the scriptures. According to 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 11, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, maturity also means no longer thinking and acting like a child. I know a lot of you are disappointed now, but how do children typically think? I think selfishly, incompletely. They don't think things through. That's often based on their feelings, on what they want. It's not based on truth. If I could have cotton candy every meal, that's what I would do. But they don't recognize that that's not good for them and the consequences would be bad. Besides a stomach ache and rotten teeth and no growth, I mean, what else do you need? I think there's another thing about being an infant and being a child, even a child in the kingdom of God. Ingratitude is one of the things that accompanies childlike thinking. Infants or infants in Christ do not always appreciate what their parents do or what God has done for them in the past. They have short memories. Their concern is not for what someone did for me yesterday, is what are you doing for me right now? You know, just because you fed me and clothed me for 14 years, but what about today? I need that iPod. <laughs> Whatever. The past is forgotten. They only focus on now, what I want. So they don't have any respect for those who have labored in the past, for those that are laboring in the present, or those that will be needed to labor in the future. They're a very self-centered group. See, I think it's also important to note before we start that maturity is not based on age. Because I have a gray beard, and I do, doesn't make me automatically any more mature than a kid who's 17 years old. Do you know why that is? It has nothing to do with age. See, there's a myth in our culture that when people get older, they become a mature adult. I don't know if you have, but I have seen 25-year-olds, 35-year-olds, 50-year-olds that still demonstrate very little maturity. In fact, they just look like a very old, self-centered child. I don't know if you've met them. Age alone will not produce maturity. And it's true in the Christian life. Years in the Christian life is not equal to maturity. Did you know that? Well, I've been, a, I've been a believer for 15 years. Wonderful. Where have you gone? And how have you grown? There's a story of a principal in high school that I just read that he had promoted an individual to an administrative post in his school that had a, was a teacher that had 10 years of experience. As soon as he made that announcement public, another teacher came to him and said, I'm upset with you. You passed me over. I have more experience than that person. That person only has 10 years of experience and I have 25. How dare you put that person in that job? And the principal says, really, I'm sorry to have to say this, but you're wrong. You do not have 25 years of experience. You have one year of experience repeated 25 times. <laughs> I believe that's true of many of us who are sitting here. Our Christian lives are not growing, they're repeating. We're on lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. We are not going to grow if we just repeat last year's process, turn the crank and do it again. That is not growth. 
That's repetition. We are called to grow. So we have to be careful that we consider in our minds, I've been there 20 years, so I am mature. No, do not rely on that. Rely on your growth in your relationship to Jesus Christ. How has that changed in 25 years? Do you trust him more today than you used to? Do you rely on him more than you used to? Do you obey him more now than you used to? Do you listen to his word now more than you used to? Do you share him with others because you're so proud of him because more than you used to? Those are marks of maturity, not the number of cycles you've completed. So God also said something really clear here in Psalm 119. He separates age from maturity and wisdom. In Psalm 119, verse 100, it says this, I have more understanding than the elders. That doesn't mean us, though it could mean us. It means than the older folks, the graybeards. I have more understanding than those who are older than me, for I obey your precepts. What drives understanding and wisdom? Obedience. Interesting. It's not, I have read your word more times than the elders, so therefore I am more, no. I obey what I read. So as we're going to discuss later, maturity doesn't just happen to us. We don't just wish ourselves mature. We need to go through a process. So I think it's clear what, what it is, but why should we? Why can't I stay a kid? Why can't I just be served in church? Sit there and suck it all up. Criticize from the back row. Why is that not good for me? Well, let's see what God says about that. And that's number two point, the mandate for maturity. The mandate for the believer's responsibility to pursue spiritual maturity is, comes from several verses, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Unfortunately, he says, you got to grow up. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Okay. Does that sound like a command? Good, because it is. God's telling you, do not stay a child in your thinking. Yet an evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Wow. Now, does Paul, who wrote this from 1 Corinthians, telling us that decide one day, yesterday I was immature, but today I decided to be mature. Is that what he's saying? Be mature. Flip the switch. Go presto, changeo, there I am. No, that's not the Christian life. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying engage in the process. Set your sights on maturity. Progress through the life with that as your goal. That's what Paul said earlier in Colossians. Right? We've got to pursue, pursue, pursue maturity or it won't happen. Now, Leonard Ravenhill reinforced this point in a quote he gave about maturity is not automatic. He said there was a village in Europe, a quaint village, and a tourist bus came by and pulled up and got out, and there was an old man sitting next to a fence. And the persons on the tour bus walked up and says, hey, were any famous people, important people born in this village? And the old man looked and shook his head. Nope, only babies. <laughs> Nobody is born an important person, either in life or in the kingdom of God. No one's born mature in the kingdom of God or in life. It's a process. And if we're not engaged in the process, we won't arrive. Well, the second thing I would say is in our passage this morning that reinforces that we should be farther along. He must have been a little frustrated because he was trying to explain the excellencies of Christ to the Hebrew readers that he was writing to. And he gets to the verse in verse 11 and 12 and he says, concerning Christ, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you're not maturing. You've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you have need for someone to teach you again. What are we? Should many of us be teachers by now? How long does it take to be a teacher? 
Has anybody gone hiking? Now, I'm not talking about teachers in the church. I'm not talking just about being the preacher or the Sunday school teacher. I'm talking about someone who shares truth with someone else. That's a teacher. You could teach your kids. You could teach your neighbor. You could teach your friends. It doesn't have to be here in church. But anybody gone backpacking and you're on a foreign trail and you're going along and someone is just coming down the hill that you're going up. Now they not, may not be Johnny Quest or some person that's really knowledgeable about trail. They're not Mr. Park Ranger. They're just some guy stumbling down the trail. But guess what? They've been where you haven't been yet. And you can ask them, hey, what's the trail like up there? And they could either discourage you immensely, it's straight up around this corner. <laughs> right? Or they could say, oh, you're almost near the top, man. Press on. Right? Okay, what knowledge did that take to do that? You just have to be one step ahead of the guy behind you. Teachers, just understand this. When you said you could be teachers, whatever you have learned, you can share with those behind you. Do you understand that? We are not exempt from sharing and passing on truth just because we haven't reached our degree or we don't have a diploma or we don't have a seminary degree. Who cares? If you're not sharing what you do know, you're not in the right position and you're not pursuing maturity. That's what a mature person would do. Well, I think we ought to move on because we might be convinced that God actually said we should be mature. But you might ask yourself, how? I've been in church a long time. In fact, I'm on my 17th lap. I haven't, I've repeated the same year 17 times. But, so I've been in church, so why am I not maturing? Let's look at that. Number three, the means. We know that maturity won't happen overnight. And, but relationships will not happen without intention and effort. So some think that we're going to be mature just by reading our Bible. Um, or by praying. Or by giving. Or listening to thousands of sermons. They are important. But they're not the means. It becomes important. Because this is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to focus our attention on Christ. We need to be close to Christ. And how we do that. What is this book? This book is all about Christ. It speaks of Christ. Written by Christ. If you want to know Christ, this is where you dive in. But you can't do it in a speed read. You've got to dive in and study. You've got to apply. You've got to do what the Word says. Now the interesting thing here, if we want to grow in maturity, we have to have a crystal clear vision of the authentic Jesus. Do you have a crystal clear vision of the true Jesus? Many faiths have a Jesus. Did you know that? And they can say, oh yeah, we, we, we know about Jesus. You've got to be careful. Jesus is different in almost every faith. He's a good teacher. He's a prophet. You know what? Let's look at Colossians because we don't want a Jesus of our own imagination. We don't want a Jesus that we want him to be. Let's see who God says Jesus is. I love the verse from Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Oh, experts and scientists, you want to know where the universe came from? Jesus made it. Period. No more conversation. No big bang. First there was nothing, then it exploded. No. All things were created by him, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's why they even exist. All authority serves God. Did you know that even crummy authority serves God? I mean, our country over the years has had its share of good and bad authority, right? Where does authority come from? All authority is Jesus's. And God can use even crummy authority to accomplish his will. 
We trust the one who authority comes from, not the ones who wield it improperly. Authority comes from Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. Who's in charge of this church is none of us. None of our leaders, none of our elders, none of our pastors run this church. Jesus runs the church. Jesus runs the church. And if you don't know what Jesus is about, if you don't know what Jesus said, if you don't obey what Jesus commands, how can you say this is Jesus' church? We just stick his name on something. Many churches do that. I'm not going to cite them, but there are there. Jesus said, all scripture talks of me. The 4th century AD, Jerome wrote this. Ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. You think you're learning Bible stories? No. You're learning who your God is and how to relate to him and how to trust him more. But here's another thing. Knowing the Bible in, a, in our minds and not obeying it is deadly. Who knew the Bible in Jesus' times better than anyone? The scriptures. The Pharisees. The Pharisees knew all the words. They knew all the stories. They had most of it memorized. They studied it their entire lives. They were scholars. They could teach about the scriptures all day long. And what did that knowledge get them? They learned you cannot kill God on the Sabbath. You got to kill him on Friday. What? So I studied the scriptures from end to end and what I learned was don't kill God on the Sabbath so you break the law. What you got to do is kill God on a Friday. I cannot believe it. And do you think that's possible even in church that we could know so much truth but not do it? I think it is. We could become so proud of our expertise that we don't do what we learn. Well, I think there's something that says in James that tells us what the secret here of maturity is. What he says is, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. According to James it says 122, it says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive, delude themselves. It's really hard. If you read this word and don't apply it, you're not going to change. Knowing it will make you like the Pharisee. Doing it will produce maturity and character. We here at Valley need to not just be knowers of the word, people who can cut the word straight, but doers of the word. Well, Hebrews 5 that we read at the beginning reinforces this. It says in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And it's that practice. Because of practice. Reading it is not practicing it, is it? Because of practice, they train their senses. Well, we've got to move on because there's much to talk about. We want the mind of Christ, do we not? This is the mind of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 2.16. Have you ever been with somebody in your life long enough and you got to know them deeply then if an issue came up, a brand new issue, one you've never even talked about before, you knew what they were going to say about it before you even talked to them. That's what God's telling us right here. Know me so well. Be in a relationship with me so close. You'll run into stuff you'll never see in Scripture, you've never seen before. But you'll know how I think about it. And you'll know what to do. Amazing. Well, we must move on. Because I think it's not enough to just know your word. You have to do your word. And we will demonstrate a maturity that will be evident. And so what's the measure of maturity? 
Well, this is important. I think the Bible teaches us there's at least four clear characteristics that are present in the lives of the mature and equipped believer. Now, before you react, it says, I know what they are. I don't think we do. I sure didn't. We might say, this person, did you know that they have memorized the whole New Testament? <laughs> Whoa, those guys are mature. Or, do you know, I know of a, a faithful saint, he hasn't missed a service or a prayer meeting in three decades. That guy is a faithful, mature servant. Really? Um, maybe this person is a sacrificial giver. They give so much and they don't have anything. But they do it with joy. I can't believe it. Did you know that memorizing scripture can be done by someone who doesn't know Christ? Yes. Right. Did you know attending church can be done by someone who doesn't know Christ? Did you know that giving to the church can be done by someone who doesn't know Christ? So how could these be a true measure of our maturity, of our relationship to Jesus Christ? I don't think they are. Now, don't get me wrong. I want everybody who knows Jesus Christ to actually do these as well, but these are not the marks of maturity. The marks of maturity are something else. The first one I think is this, discernment for living in the gray areas of life. See, discernment is defined as the quality of being able to grasp or comprehend what might be obscure, what's not clear, an act of perceiving or assessing or judging something as to its true nature or effects. Let's look again at our passage this morning at Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. It says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed, is not familiar with the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of their practice have their senses trained to do something. To discern good and evil. Now that's an interesting thing. Discernment. Good and evil here I think is really morally good, pleasing to God. Things that are contrary to God as evil, sin. You have an ability to know in your life what is really good and pleasing to God versus what is not, no matter what it is, if you have this trained discernment. So, because in complexity of life situations, it's difficult sometimes to know what's really good for your family or bad for your family, isn't it? Don't we need help? With some of these decisions. Uh, pastor Rich Rollins, our executive pastor, actually before me, uh, used to frequently say that our lives are mostly lived in the gray, not in the black and white. Um, see, black and white decisions are really easy, even if we don't choose the right one. We know what the right one should have been. You know, you don't need discernment to say, what's the sum of 2.2 plus 2? What you need is discernment on things that are not really articulated. So where, what Bible verse would you give me of what city should I live in? Uh, Baltimore? Uh, what? Aspen? Colorado? There is no Bible verse for that. Where does God want you to live? You need discernment for that. Um, should you homeschool your child? Show me the verse that shows homeschooling is more holy than public school. It doesn't exist. So what do we do? Well, I know some of us would love, I would have loved to say, kids' bedtime. What should your kids' bedtime be? Oh, kids, sorry. It says 7.30 right here. <laughs> Following God's word. Mom and dad need some alone time. Adios. We can't do that. We need to use discernment. But those are the, almost the easy discernment questions. They're harder ones. So the more we do, do and learn God's word, it prepares us with principles of the word that we can apply to life circumstances. Have you ever met someone that you described what you thought was a really thorny problem? 
And they just cut right to the heart of the problem and said, I think this is the issue in that matter. And here's a verse from God that says that this is his thinking about those issues. And it's almost you got clarity and it doesn't even describe your, should you move or not? Should you not move? What, what, what Bible? No, there's a principle here that might apply. Why are you leaving? Might be the better a principle to apply than where are you going? Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's what we have to do here. When we know and apply God's word, he develops in us a trained sense of discernment. And you become someone that can help your brother and sister. That's what this is about. See, it's not about coming to the church counselor, coming to the pastor. We all become people who have discernment. That's what a mature church looks like. People who have discernment. And it's not just discernment about life's choice. It's discernment about God's word. We are too easily and often as a church in America deceived and we see churches, you wonder how they even exist. Is no one even preaching the truth? Do they not know the truth? Because what happens is discernment is gained over staying in the word. When you know the word, study the word, obey the word, apply the word, trust the author of the word, he shows you when stuff is wrong. Has anybody not watched anything on TV and as you watch it you go, is that right? That doesn't sound right. Sometimes we have just enough discernment to know it's not right, but we don't know why. God wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be able to say, here's why that's not right. And we need to defend other sheep from that kind of error. That's what a church needs to be about. It needs to guard the doctrine, not because the pastors do, but because everybody does, because they have spiritual discernment. They don't read books that says, okay, it's uh, a matter of how much you, uh, uh, you know, pray in your reality. What? Have you ever seen that self-actualization prayer? Have you seen books on that? Yeah, they're out there. If, what, if you want it, you've got to pray it into existence. Uh, I don't see that in Scripture. We need to know where the error is. We need discernment. I think there's another one. This Ephesians 4 says, when you do that, you're no longer children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and craftiness of scheming. Do you know that when you have this kind of maturity and discernment, people who even try to trick you can't. And there are people who will try to trick you. Do you know that? Do you know not everybody is straight up in this world? It's true. But we need to be a people of God that know his word and discern. But one of the things that I want to leave you with is do not lose heart that all the issues you're wrestling with are not specifically addressed in Scripture. Because we have God's promise, God's promise that his word is not only inerrant, it is sufficient. This is all we need to know. Why? In 2 Peter 1.3 it says, His divine power has granted to us a few things pertaining to life and godliness. No. Everything. This will speak to everything you need to have spoken to in your life. If you understand what it's saying and you trust the author and you're growing in maturity and discernment. This has everything you need. Everything. You know, everything for life and godliness. You know, if this church was a discerning church, we would have a counselor on every pew, every row, and this would be a place where your faith would be secure because everyone would be a defender of the doctrine. That's what we pray for, that everybody is mature. Second thing, they pass on truth. The second measure of an equipped, mature believer is they are desperate to pass on truth. They understand that we are just one generation away from spiritual exile here. Do you know if you don't pass it on to the next generation, it could die? There's no guarantee it goes beyond us. And a mature believer sees this. A mature believer says, I'm going to share this with everybody. I don't need to just be a teacher at church. I need to share with everybody the truths of God's word. Not just the milk, but the meat. I'm not talking simply about evangelism. I'm talking about those little Bible studies you have with your friends or your small groups. 
you need this type of reinforcement in your life because you want to pass on. We should have no shortage of teachers in this church. Did you know that? We have struggled to get Sunday school teachers in this church, and I don't think we should. People have sat under this teaching for a long time. They've been around the mountain several times. I don't think you need to have a, we're not going to check your mileage before we put you in the, in the classroom. Well, I finished 74 laps. Wonderful. I wish you'd have been available on lap two. Okay? But we need to serve and we need to pass on truth. See, we can't just learn the Bible and be students of the Bible and maturing and being equipped in the Bible and not pass it on. That's the Dead Sea. It collects everything and passes on nothing. That can't be a mature believer. Three, the divine ability to restore lost sheep. I think that's the third mark. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual or mature, ignore them. No, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself that you will not too be tempted. See, in this verse, Apostle Paul is telling the Galatian church that rescue work is a work of the mature. It's a risky work. Do you see that in the verse? You don't send someone who's not mature on a rescue mission. It's a dangerous mission. And you need to send a gentle-hearted person. Not a person with a club. Not a person with a condemning word. But a person with a gentle, tender heart whose heart is to restore to fellowship not to criticize and prove that they're wrong you know you're on sin right they probably knew that before you arrived what they need to know is how do I get back do you notice the verse 2 talks about language about being trapped do you know that there are people even believers that somehow are trapped in sin they might be trapped in pornography they might be trapped in drugs or alcohol. They might be trapped in their fear and phobias, whether it's disease or anything else from COVID. There are people who are trapped and they're isolated sheep. They need to be rescued. They need care. And if we were a, an equipped, mature, believing church, we would have plenty of rescuers that are raising their hands saying, send me, send me. I want to go do that. I was speaking with our pastor Phil the other day and he says, you might want to ask them if we knew of a man or a woman that was in a serious problem, they're out in sin, they're trapped, how many people would raise their hand saying, I feel equipped, I feel ready, I want that job, let me go rescue them, I'll share the Bible and its truths in a loving way with this person and I want to bring them back. How many people would raise their hand? Could we count on you? Say, I think there's too few hands that would go up. We want to say, ooh, or they got in that mess, they let them give themselves out, or whatever we want to say. Or I'm just not ready. I don't have the right words. You know what? Why not? Why not? We need to equip ourselves and become mature because the mark of a spiritually mature believer is they are a rescuer. Is that your heart? Are you looking out to find someone? Does someone come up to your mind right now, this morning? They're not here. They haven't been here in weeks. You don't know where they are. They may not be trapped in a sin, but they still might need rescue. This is what a mature believer does. Lastly, they serve. They're ready for every good work. If you're not ready for work, it's, we can't put you in place. Do you know, have you ever eaten an unripe, an unmature fruit? How pleasant was that experience? I didn't like it. It tastes nasty. Similarly, we, as we mature, if you put an unprepared, an ill-equipped, an unmature person in ministry, I think it's like eating an unripe fruit. It's not an appropriate thing to do. We need you first to be equipped and mature. Then you're ready to serve. We're not just looking to put people into service because they're warm. 
just because they're here. We want people that are equipped and mature. They're ready for every good work according to 2 Timothy 3. It says that they might be equipped and ready and adequate for every good work. God wants you to be adequate and ready and equipped. Will you be? Will you be? Because God has a work according to Ephesians 2.10 that he's prepared for you. And according to that verse, it's really interesting. He says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for sitting around. For looking good. For not breaking a sweat. No, it says we are created in Christ Jesus. We were rescued and saved for a purpose and that is good works. Now, there's a predecessor step. You've got to be prepared for those good works. You've got to be equipped for those good works. We're not expecting infants to go work in the nursery. They grow up. And when they're grown up and they're mature themselves, they can actually help another infant. Similar for us. If we're spiritual infants, we want to grow you up. We want to get you healthy. We want to get you mature and strong. Then you can help others. That's the cycle. Mature believers serve. You know, there was something here. We're not been equipped for just sitting on a shelf. There was a story. I've got to share it. Many people don't even remember this guy, Merv Griffin. Anybody remember Merv Griffin? I mean, you have to be an antique to remember Merv Griffin. But back in the heyday of his show, he had a person on because he liked to interview relatively characters about different skills and abilities and personalities. And he brought on this bodybuilder. And this bodybuilder came in and he says, the first question that he asked him is, is uh, so what do you use those muscles for? And he stood up in front of the crowd and went, whatever he does. And everybody's clapping and he sits down. And Merv Griffin says, okay, but what do you use them for? And he stood up again. And he sat back down, the crowd's applauding, and Merv Griffin was getting frustrated. He goes, but what do you use them for? The guy didn't have an answer. And I think that sometimes is us. We get so prepped that we want to be put on the shelf and admired. But what do we use this equipping for? What do we use our maturity for? Are you being equipped for a reason? Are you not just looking pretty on a shelf? Get a gold star from the pastor. You memorized enough scriptures. No, we're prepared for a reason. And we need to use this maturity for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for his kingdom and for the protection of his flock. We're not just to look pretty. Well, let me close with this. I think we will know that Valley Bible Church has reached the goals of maturity and equipping when we are a fellowship that's marked by believers who demonstrate godly discernment even in the gray areas of life and are available to help and counsel and make wise decisions with the whole body. I think, too, we are going to be a fellowship that's marked by believers who teach and pass on the truths of God's Word, not just here, but wherever they are. And there is no shortage of teachers here. In fact, there's a line to try to get in to teach because all the spots are filled. Because mature people want to pass it on. And if they stand in line and say, hey, I finally got equipped, where can I go? Well, all the spots are filled. You know, oh, they don't go like, they're a little bit anxious. They're saying, well, can I start a new class? Can I do something else? Yes. People pass on the truths of God that are mature. Third, we're a fellowship that will be marked by rescuing and restoring lost sheep in gentleness and in love and that no sheep can find itself lost without someone here trying to bring them back in love and care. That's what this will look like. And lastly, we'll know that we're there 
when we're a fellowship that's marked by service. That we're performing the works that God has equipped us to do and where people would have to actually take turns serving because there is no ministry position that's vacant. Because when I, by the time I'm ready, I want to usher. Oh, all the usher spots are full. Well, can I be on the worship team? No, there are already 120. Uh, can, I, can I teach Sunday school? No, we've got four teachers for every class. The next time you'll be able to teach is in 2023. <laughs> That's what a healthy church would look like if everybody on these pews, including me, were mature and equipped. We couldn't, you couldn't stop us from serving. You couldn't stop us from sharing. You couldn't stop us from rescuing. And you couldn't stop us from using godly discernment in my daily life to make choices that would honor God, please our Savior, and be loving and kind to one another. Wouldn't that be something? I pray. And may God grant Valley Bible Church the ability to be that very church by 2023. I think that's possible. I think with your cooperation and his divine help, God can achieve that kind of a goal. I pray that he would. Father, I thank you for your help. We don't become mature on our own. You mature us through your word. But we got to make ourselves available. I pray that every person here would see that you're calling them to grow up and to be a person that you can use not only in this fellowship but in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their lives, rescuing lost souls, sharing them the truths of your word, using godly decision-making processes and guarding the truths of your word through doctrine and also, Father, that they're having joy just serving you because there's nothing greater to do than serve the King of Kings and our Savior whom we love. Father, make that a reality for Valley Bible Church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.